0: Hi everyone, and welcome to Ask a Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of The Horse. Tonight, our topic is laminitis prevention, detection and treatment, brought to you by Wellness Ready. We had record breaking registration for this live recording of our podcast, which is telling. It seems like anyone who's owned or managed horses for any length of time has dealt with or tried to prevent laminitis at some point. The disease is complex, and painful, and horses prone to laminitis require nutritional, medical, and hoof management. I am excited tonight that our panelists include internal medicine specialist, Dr. Nicholas Frank of Tufts University, and lameness and podiatry expert, Dr. Vern Dryden, who is also a certified journeyman farrier and practices at Burr Oak Sports Medicine and Podiatry. Welcome to both of you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here.
0: So I'm going to start with Dr. Frank. Um, can you tell us about your interest in your research into laminitis and metabolic issues with horses?
1: Yes, I'm happy to and, and thank you for inviting me to be part of this tonight. Um, my interest in laminitis is that it is quite simply the most devastating disease that I've encountered and to me it's a disease that we have to work so hard to try to prevent because once it has occurred it is really so damaging to the foot uh, so my research and the research of many others in the last 10 15 years has really been around trying to identify the risk factors for the development of laminitis and in particular around the uh, hormonal or endocrine uh, disorders that we see in horses that cause them to develop laminitis and that's principally having a high insulin concentration so my work has been about trying to develop diagnostic tests so that we can identify these forces and to look at some of the treatments uh, that we might use to try to manage these conditions to try to prevent laminitis from happening
0: and Dr. Dryden, as a vet who does podiatry and farriery, uh, what's your role in treating and managing laminitis cases in your practice?
2: Thanks, and uh, thank you so much for having me on board today. Uh, so in my practice, um, I, I do a lot of sports medicine and lameness, um, but definitely the podiatry aspect is still very heavy. Um, I, I would say by far, prevention is key. and I I definitely still deal with the critical cases, but um, if I could implore today that to look more towards prevention than treatment, um, I, I would urge everyone to, to be thinking along those lines because once the horse has laminitis and, and has that predisposition, it is difficult uh, you know, further management and uh, uh, being able to reconcile those problems are difficult. So prevention is key.
0: I want to give everyone a quick review of our Ask the Horse live format. We're going to be starting out with the questions that everyone submitted during registration. If you have questions you'd like to ask live or would like a clarification on one of the doctor's responses, you can enter it in the chat window in front of you on your computer. We'll do our best to get as to as many of your questions as possible. If you're listening to our archive or podcast and are interested in joining us live during our events, register to receive our announcements at thehorse.com or visit thehorse.com slash askthehorse live. And so we have a big crowd already. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and get started. Uh, Dr. Dryden, the first question is for you. It's from Linda in New Zealand. And she wants to know what is laminitis and is it a metabolic disease or a hoof disease?
2: So this is a great question, and it really sets the tone for what we're going to be talking about. So laminitis itself, by definition, is inflammation of the lamina within the hoof capsule. So the lamina are the connective structures that hold the bone and the hoof capsule together. When those structures become inflamed, Those they separate and create uh, a situation where the bone can displace within the capsule, okay? Um, Now, there are many, many ways in which a hoof can become laminitic or those little lamina to become inflamed. So one way is for uh, a horse to have a metabolic disease such as insulin dysregulation um, in which uh, insulin becomes such a high level in the blood that creates a pro-inflammatory response and you get a laminitic episode. Um, other ways are, say, an overload scenario from like an orthopedic issue. Say a horse has uh, a bone disease or a bone infection in one foot and overloads the other. You get ischemic uh, necrosis of uh, the lamina, so they don't get blood supply and they start to die. Uh, another way could be uh, a horse that may have a, say, a, 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 a colic in which they have some endotoxin released um, that creates a laminitis uh, because of an inflammatory cascade from the endotoxin release. So there's multiple, multiple ways in which a horse can develop laminitis. And it ends up, um, we we deal with it the same at the end, but the different pathways to get there is what you have to look at. And the most important thing that we, we do is that we treat the cause initiating the laminitis episode and get that resolved and then and then triage the patient and uh, with appropriate mechanics and shoeing and
0: and supportive care. So, Dr. Dryden, we all have uh, know someone or have always been a little afraid of a horse getting loose and breaking into the feed room. For example, and and eating a bunch of grain and then having a laminitic episode—is that because the horse has metabolic issues that he gets into the grain and then becomes laminitic, or is it something else to do with eating so much uh, at one one time?
2: That's a that's another great question. So I think on a on a smaller scale, a horse that may be predisposed because they have insulin dysregulation and they go and they forage on. Um, some grain, uh, so a non-structural carbohydrate that increases their glycemic index that induces, uh, release of, of insulin to deal with that high glucose in their blood, um, that spikes insulin that in which they've already have a high insulin level that, that can induce a laminitis response. Now, if a horse goes in and it doesn't have metabolic syndrome or insulin dysregulation and they go and ingest a bunch of oats, and they basically have a flora change in their GI that creates an endotoxemia, that can induce a laminitis episode as well. So there's two very different ways of looking at that. And I think the most important thing is that we identify horses that may be predisposed because of insulin dysregulation or other endocrinopathic disorders first.
0: So Dr. Frank, our next question is from Melody in california and she wants to know if there's a particular age breed or sex that makes a horse more prone to laminitis
1: yes so this is a very good question so as we're talking about laminitis as dr dryden says we've got to sort of separate out the different uh causes of laminitis so we're going to separate out um the cause of laminitis from high insulin concentrations which dr dryden referred to as insulin dysregulation so that form of laminitis we're going to talk a lot about this evening there are the other forms as as dr dryden says the horse with the fractured leg that's putting too much weight on 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 the good leg uh, the horse that has diarrhea and horrible bacterial disease that can trigger laminitis uh, and those those causes of laminitis um, can occur in any horse of any age breed or sex so we have to separate off those ones from the ones caused by high insulin concentrations when we have that situation um, which we refer to as equine metabolic syndrome we know that there are horses that are genetically predisposed to this syndrome to having high insulin concentrations so of breeds there are several breeds that we know many of the pony breeds so we think of ponies in general donkeys miniature horses And then some of the light horse breeds like Morgan horses, for instance, Pasifinos, uh, Andalusians, uh, they can be predisposed to having high insulin concentrations, to having this condition insulin dysregulation. They get um, a progression of this as they get older sometimes because they accumulate body fat. They get more obese sometimes as they get older. We also know that when they get to being middle-aged, if they develop Cushing's on top of that underlying insulin dysregulation, their risk also goes up. And we know that Cushing's is an age-related disease that occurs more commonly as the horse gets older. So for the insulin ones, if we call them that, um, then yes, definitely breed and age can make some horses more prone to laminitis.
0: And Dr. Dryden, we had a question from Jim in Virginia who wants to know, are donkeys prone to pasture-related laminitis like ponies are?
2: Yeah, that, this is a great question because a lot of times we think of donkeys as indestructible and they're these little creatures that can live anywhere and do anything and they're very stoic, but uh, they definitely can be prone to um, laminitis. Uh, a lot of them are insulin uh Resistant horse or donkeys and we just don't know it. Um, but we have to be very careful about them and they're, they're used to living on arid mountainsides and, and, uh, foraging for very little food and, and, uh, being able to survive in, uh, you know, rough conditions. That was, you know, that's how donkeys kind of, uh, uh, evolved, if you will. Um, and then we go and we put them in a lush green pasture and their bodies are used to reserves and, and holding on to, to what little they were able to ingest and, and storing it as fat. And they end up responding by having insulin resistance. And just like Dr. Frank said, um, we have to be very careful of these and, and understand what's happening metabolically for them. So, yes, they can be prone to pasture related laminitis like ponies
0: and um, dr. Frank we were all chatting a little bit about donkeys before we went live and and you mentioned some things about uh, diagnosing laminitis and donkeys being maybe a little different than in horses and since we're on the topic of donkeys do you want to go ahead and share that with the audience
1: yes I'm happy to so having owned donkeys myself in the past I also have a soft spot for for donkeys and When we work with them, sometimes they are more challenging to to diagnose laminitis, um, partly because of their gait, which already can look like a short-strided gait, partly because of their overall tolerance for pain. And sometimes what we see with donkeys is that they don't look as lame as you might think based on what you eventually find when you take radiographs of their feet. So when you x-ray their feet, you sometimes see that there is really quite strong evidence of laminitis, but sometimes they haven't been as obviously painful as perhaps a horse would be. And that makes them challenging sometimes to know that they've started in the early stages of laminitis because they don't show the pain. They don't have as obvious changes in gait and that can make them more challenging
0: we have a question from our live audience stag wants to know if a horse with PPID has laminitis but now his insulin levels are under control under what conditions can that horse be turned back out onto pasture dr. Frank do you want to take that one
1: yes um, so the the answer to that question is to be very sure that you know that the insulin situation is under control and as we talk about different ways to check for a high insulin situation um sometimes we just pull a blood sample and and measure the insulin concentration and that's called a resting insulin if that's normal that's good Um, But to be absolutely sure that that animal is okay to go out on pasture, you should really do an oral sugar test because that's going to challenge the animal to make sure that even when it's challenged with sugars, it's not going to have a high insulin concentration if you do that and you're sure of that then you can start back with some limited access to grass and usually i'll put them on a uh, on a in a grass paddock with a companion and usually it's about the size of a tennis court or two tennis courts that's the typical size paddock that i'll start with let them go uh, on that grass for a while and then recheck and make sure their insulin is staying low and hasn't started to go back up again if you're convinced that that's okay then going out on a bigger area of pasture use of a grazing muzzle to allow them to be out, but limiting the amount of grass that they can eat uh, during the day. So you have to take it in a stepwise fashion. And unfortunately, you can't conclude that just that one measurement says that you're going to be okay as you go back out onto pasture. So you've got to be very cautious, do it incrementally and keep checking to make sure that you are in fact okay.
0: Uh, Dr. Dryden, we have a question for you from Peter in Arizona, and Peter wants to know, are laminitis and hoof abscesses related to each other?
2: Great question. Um, Yes, in a way, they are. So early in the stages of laminitis, uh, if there is displacement of the bone, you will get leaking of the, the vessels uh, in between the lamina. these This leaking of the vessels results in what's called a seroma. This is basically an aggregation of serum that cannot escape the hook capsule and creates a pocket. Uh, now, this pocket is sterile at the moment. Um, however, it can become septic if a little bacteria were to arise or be uh, uh, displaced into that through a separated, uh, laminar space in the hoof wall uh, or crack or fissure um, that that seroma can become an abscess so there's one way Uh, the other ways are in uh, many horses that are laminetic they have poor blood circulation to uh, parts of their hoof capsule because of compromised area because of the the coffin bone displacing and compressing vasculature those areas uh, then become ischemic or uh, have lack of oxygen um, and will die and come become necrotic. And now those areas are susceptible to uh, forming abscesses um, as well. So you know there's there's multiple ways in which this can be related. But in essence, yes, many horses that have laminitis do develop abscesses. Um, I will also say that uh, hoof conformation. Uh, in a laminated course, if the the hoof wall is separated at the toe, in which many will be, and have stretched lamina at the toe, uh, those areas of stretched lamina will create fissures in which bacteria, mud, dirt, debris can be packed up into the hoof, and an anaerobic scenario will create an abscess that will uh, set up shop, so yes.
0: Okay, we have a follow-up question about um, from Stag in our live audience, and specifically about cool uh, cool season grasses. Um, So, and I think I'll give this to you, Dr. Frank. Stag wants to know if there are any cool season grasses that are safe for horses prone to laminitis because of EMS or PPID. And I guess I maybe we bundle insulin dysregulation into into those as well um, dr frank
1: yes so you know what i'm going to maybe start with is um we are using a lot of different terms so i think if we could just uh, perhaps maybe use the term high insulin uh, horses because high insulin horses really describes what we're talking about with insulin dysregulation Uh, We've also used the term insulin resistance, which is one type of insulin dysregulation. And we've also talked about equine metabolic syndrome, which is when we have the obesity and the increased uh, fat in the neck crest and so on. So maybe we'll put those all together and call these high insulin horses. So high insulin horses and cool season grasses. There are there are situations where there are some grasses that are better than others. But the trouble with that is that it's such a broad generalization and it varies very much upon the soil type um, that you have, how much you're fertilizing uh, the grass. So I have really come to become quite wary of recommending any particular grass type. And I think what you have to do is really look at the individual horse and how it is responding to the pasture grass that it's on. And one way that we can, I think, put more sort of science into this is to check the insulin concentration on your horse after it's been out on grass. If it's already on grass. Um, So don't put it out on grass to, to just do this test. But if it's on grass already, then to check the insulin concentration after it just after it comes off pasture and to get an idea of what that insulin concentration is when it's out on pasture versus what it is when it's just eating hay. Uh, and is off pasture. If you see a significant increase whether it's a cool season grass or not then that means your horse is at risk and I really would prefer to look at the individual horse and how it's responding to the grass in the pasture rather than generalizing and saying that one is better than the other.
0: And Dr. Frank, I have, I have a follow-up question to that, and something that's been on my mind because I live out west, and we have irrigated pastures. And I know Dr. Dryden has lived out west as well, probably with irrigated pastures. Um, also, um, we have drought in oregon and so we have water in our irrigation canals being turned off and then the grass goes dormant for a week or two and then water will be put back in the canals and i have this concern that my horse could be at risk because that grass is getting stressed and then um, and then growing and then stressed and then growing is that something to be concerned about and i'll
1: it is it is yes and and it's very much the case that you know that rapid growth um when we have you know obviously the warmer temperatures higher amounts of sunlight the other one though is really any time in which that grass gets hit with the first frost and and that's a time when the 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 plant itself will start to accumulate sugars i just had had a recently had a very interesting conversation with somebody who who um, tries to grow hay Uh, that's low low in sugars, low in NSC, non-structural carbohydrates. And and he's actually really looked at this uh, with his own hay that he produces and had it analyzed. And that hay that has been hit with a a frost, uh, if it's it's then um, baled shortly afterwards, will be higher NSC for sure. So these dynamic changes with the grass can definitely alter the sugar content.
0: Um, Dr. Dryden, we have a question from our live audience. Elizabeth wants to know if white line disease is related to laminitis.
2: Uh, yeah, that's another great question. So there, in some cases, yes, white line, white line disease is related to laminitis if there is disruption of the lamina that will create a void for bacteria, fungi to get in and dissolve that interlaminar space. Um, so any disruption of the hoof capsule integrity can predispose a horse to uh, uh, gaining white line disease. So in essence, a laminitic horse that has some separation at the hoof uh, at the at the ground surface at the junction of the lamina, they are predisposed to it.
0: Okay. Um, our next question is about um, back to sugar content but this time in hay. dr. Frank uh, Gwen is in Nevada says that she's been soaking hay for her horse that foundered she she wants to know if she needs to soak that hay for life or can she gradually wean her off it so do you want to talk about why we might soak our hay for a horse with a a laminitis history and then whether or not she's gonna have to do that
1: absolutely yes I'm happy to so So again, we're talking about the the high insulin situation. Uh, And with that, then the more sugars there are in the hay, then the higher the insulin is going to go, the blood insulin concentration is going to go after after feeding. So what we have to know is what the individual horse is going to do uh, in response to the hay that it's eating. And if you have a horse that has really high insulin concentrations. So like many disease conditions, we have mild, moderate, and severe. So if you have a moderate or severely affected horse, as far as having a high insulin, then the, the difference in sugars in the hay can make a difference to how well you're managing those insulin concentrations. So if you have one of those horses, then soaking the hay in cold water for 60 minutes will cause some of the sugars to come out of the hay and then if you pour off the water and then feed the hay it's going to have a lower sugar content so in answer to the question as far as how long do you keep going if you have managed other parts of this and now that your horse has gone down to being mildly affected or even better is no longer having high insulin concentrations then you may be able to forego doing the soaking of the hay and you can just go back to feeding regular hay if however You've done this and you've rechecked the horse several months later, and you're still unfortunately in the moderate to severe range, you may have to then continue to soak that hay. So it is very much that we tend to put all of these horses together in one big bucket. um, And that's not accurate because there are mildly affected, moderately affected, and severely affected. And so, therefore, the recommendations really depend upon where your horse is on that scale.
2: You know, um, this is Vern again.
1: I I have a really
2: good follow up for that. And and one of the things that I really think is important is some of these horses need to be on an exercise program, especially if they're only mildly affected. Um, and that will help with their their future and ability to get back on pasture, their ability to have normal insulin levels. So I think that an exercise program and staying, you know, in work and uh, that that will play a large part into their into their well-being
1: yeah i would agree and if we could just stay on this topic just for a second so if we think about what makes an animal have a high insulin situation so we started with the idea of genetics and there's no question that there's a genetic influence and in some horses there's a really strong genetic influence and in some horses there's a milder genetic influence so whatever the genes were that that foal got when it was born that's going to be one determinant of whether it's going to be mildly if not affected at all mildly affected or, or more severely affected the next one is obesity the more obese that animal is the more that insulin concentration is going to go up and we have some better idea now from a study of ponies in australia that ponies in that study developed laminitis when their insulins went over 200 so The higher it goes, the more likelihood is that a laminitis event is going to occur. So we've got genetics, which we can't do much about. We've got obesity, which we can do something about. We've got the degree of exercise, which relates to the obesity, because the more they exercise, the more they're going to um, burn fat. And then we also have Cushing's disease, because when Cushing's disease comes along when they're middle-aged or older, that makes everything worse, makes those insulin concentrations go, go up so those are four factors and managing those different factors can really help us in most cases but i will say and i think probably there's a few people on this call you might have one of those animals with the very strong genetics to lead to this and those are the really challenging ones the severely affected ones where you do everything right and i believe you you're doing everything right because i i know that this happens and some of those animals unfortunately are extremely difficult to manage and we have to even turn sometimes to medical therapies.
0: So we do have a question from a live audience about genetics, but I want to stay on the exercise uh, topic for just a little bit. Um, I have a friend who has a horse that has some metabolic issues and he had put on quite a bit of weight on dry lot. You know, we're out in the desert. She doesn't have pasture and he just he's one of those air ferns. Um, and so she, so she is. She used to be an endurance rider, and so she put her. He's an Andalusian paint horse cross that she has, not an endurance horse, but she put him on that kind of conditioning program, and it was a lot of work for her to take that weight off of him. Does it require that kind of intensity for all horses? Because she would call and say, "Hey, Coco needs to get his steps in. Do you want to go for a ride?" And my horse is like, "Oh man." <laughs> <laughs> it it was a lot of trotting you know going out and, and trotting for five miles or, or whatever it is she wanted to do that day so I don't know uh, dr Dryden do you want to jump in on that like how much exercise is enough
2: uh, great question um I think that uh, for me as, as long as a horse works up to a sweat that that to me is you're in you're in good shape now some horses, and don't get me wrong. I'm not going to push a laminated horse to uh, exercise till they work up a sweat. That's not what I'm recommending. I'm recommending these are stable horses that uh, we know have uh, a disorder, uh, high insulin, and we want to manage it to prevent them from getting laminitis. So um, that that's kind of my that's kind of my recommendation to clients, owners, because as soon as if if they can work them until they start to break a sweat. You know what? You've done your job. You've you've increased their physiologic level to that point. I think you're in good shape.
0: Uh, we have a question about genetics, uh, Dr. Frank from Stag in our live audience, who wanted to know if it has a strong genetic component, and you've confirmed that. Stag says that he has four Arabians with similar bloodlines, and all four developed PPID, and three of those of the four had laminitis. So. Do we have an understanding of the genetic component? Is it that genetic predisposition to PPID or something else or a combination? Do, do we have any idea?
1: We have some idea. Uh, so uh, we have studies that have been done in Arabians uh, and also in Welsh ponies and Morgan horses. And there are some genetic uh, traits that are being identified. And so research that's going on at the moment looking at that I I don't do the genetic research but I follow it and and there are genetic traits being identified to perhaps explain um, as best we can uh, the genetics are very much towards having high insulin Uh, so those Arabian horses that we were talking about likely have that genetic predisposition to having a high insulin and obviously their genetics is one thing and then how they go through life is the other and what are some of the factors the environmental factors such as their diet and their exercise and so on but maybe to explain that we do think and we're still struggling to get good epidemiologic evidence for this but we do think that those same horses with high insulin are predisposed to developing ppid or cushing's uh, when they get older and so if you have an Arabian that's predisposed to high insulin and then horses that have high insulin are predisposed to PPID then i think you can connect those dots and say well maybe that's why these horses ended up getting the Cushing's ending up getting the PPID and when we say PPID and Cushing's that's exactly the same disease they're just two different terms for the same disease so i think that's probably what explains that situation in that particular group of Arabians
0: Dr. Dryden, we have a question from Brenda in California for you. Brenda wants to know if a horse can have low-grade laminitis for several months without it being detected by your farrier. So I think it's interesting because often our farriers are our first line of defense for, for these laminitis cases. What, what are farriers looking for? What should they be looking for? And can that go on without anyone noticing for a bit?
2: Yes, it absolutely can. Horses can have very low grade, mild laminatic episodes in which they look like they're a little foot sore. Um, they look like they're, oh, you know, maybe, maybe he's a little tender. He went, you know, we went on a trail ride and maybe it was, wasn't the greatest uh, ground and they're a little sore. Um, but it's very, very, very common to have multiple low grade episodes um, without any detection. And most horses through their lifetime will have a laminitis episode but not have catastrophic displacement of their fetal bone. So um, it's important to note that uh, a horse can have laminitis without laminar failure and displacement of the bone. They, they can have inflammation of the lamina and be laminitic and have a mild episode without having catastrophic failure. So um, I do think it's more common than we uh, than we think it is. Uh, just recently I had a case of a horse that, you know, this was a a jumper that was a little foot sore. They were having trouble keeping the horse sound. Um, and I looked at the horse, there were some, some mild growth rings, uh, in the horse's hoof capsule. Um, and I said, you know what, let's just test this horse, test the horse. Definitely insulin, insulin uh, was high and had cushing. So, um, you know, these are things that we just have to be very, very vigilant of um on that topic of of noting that the horse has uh this this possible predisposition we have to be very careful about what we treat these horses with especially when we're talking about sport horses and treating with uh joint injections and and corticosteroids uh we can induce a laminitis episode just by treating a horse with a steroid like tramsinolone for a simple coffin joint injection so this is very, very critical that we understand what's going on with our horses before we treat them with something like a, a glucocorticoid.
0: So I do some barefoot trimming. and I've been doing it for a couple of years and, and I do a couple of my easier horses uh, myself. And I, when I started looking at their feet, I was amazed by how much information I got about my horses once I really started paying attention to their feet and taking a rasp to them um, frequently. For horse owners who are picking up their horse's feet and cleaning them out with a hoof pick, is there anything that they should be looking for that could be an indication that something's going wrong?
2: That great question. So I would implore horse owners to use your hands, get down on your hands and knees. I know it's not pony club etiquette, but get down on your hands and knees and really feel your horse's hoof capsule, feel around the coronary band, feel their digital pulses, really look at the striations in the hoof capsule, look at the the growth pattern of the hoof capsule. It's just like a tree. It's just like a, a trunk of a tree. It's going to tell you when there's a drought. It's going to tell you when they've had a fever. A fever for a horse uh, uh, is simply, um, inflammation in the foot is simply causing uh, a cessation of growth. And that's why they have a growth, a growth ring, if you will. So it, the hoof capsule will tell you a lot about what's happened with that horse. Um, and it's history. So you're, you're absolutely right. And just if I can implore our, our listeners to just really, really, really pay attention to their horses' hoof capsules and how they, you know, if there are any heat, if there's any sensitivity around their coronary band, if there's any um, abnormalities that they didn't notice the day before. So just be vigilant and, and you'll, it'll go a long way.
1: If I could also just add that, you know, some of our earlier studies looking at this situation of high insulin in horses. Uh, in the st- in the horses we enrolled in the study, um, many of them did not have any history of lameness, and yet uh, on X-rays of the feet, it was obvious that the animal had had laminitis. And I would completely agree. And one of the things that we look for is the is the so-called founder lines or divergent hoof rings. Um, if you look at the hoof rings on on the horse's foot, they usually spaced about the same uh distance apart no matter whether you're looking at the heels or the or the front of the foot uh when when the heels the rings on the heels are spaced wider than than the rings on the on the front of the foot that's what we refer to as divergent hoof rings or founder lines and i think if you see that uh, in addition to having any suspicion that uh, your horse has any problems with high insulin uh, then I think, you know, you should think about uh, laminitis having occurred in, in minor episodes, as Dr. Dryden says, minor episodes that we might not notice leading up to a, an episode that causes lameness.
0: We have some follow-up questions from our live audience having to do with pasture grasses and, and NSCs. Dr. Frank, Linda wants to know, when is the sugar con- content highest in pasture grasses, At the morning, evening, or overnight?
1: So uh, it's often uh, in the morning uh, and, you know, but it again varies on temperature uh, and depends on the time of the year as well.
0: And then we also have a question from Maggie in our live audience, Dr. Frank, who wants to know if you can give your horse free choice hay if it's low NSCs. Is hay restriction mostly to keep weight off or because eating too much hay can cause high insulin or laminitis? So this is particularly tricky for those who have horses with gastric ulcer issues and uh, insulin dysregulation. So Dr. Frank,
1: yes. What advice so- yeah so it 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 is a factor of both uh so obviously the more hay you give the more calories you're giving so if you have a situation where that horse is battling with obesity and 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 increased adiposity with the thick neck crest and so on and then you've got to be careful about how many calories you're giving and therefore giving them free choice hay even if it is low nsc is not advisable if the horse is fine as far as its body condition is concerned and you feel comfortable with that then the free choice hay with low nsc should not accumulate a problem with the high insulin so uh, you know the longer the horse eats that low nsc hay it doesn't necessarily uh, mean that the insulin is going to track up during the day as it eats more and more because it's really whatever the sugars are coming out of the small intestine as the horse is eating throughout the day. So um, so it, it is fine to go ahead and give a low NSC hay free choice if you're not worried about managing obesity, but in most cases we are worried about obesity, so it would not be advisable.
0: Um, we have a question, Dr. Dryden from Diane in the live audience, going back to exercise. She says, how, if a horse already has laminitic pain, how can they get exercise?
2: So that's a tricky one. Uh, we have to manage them until the point where they're comfortable enough to start moving, and then slowly introduce them to uh, more and more exercise. And this takes months uh, to a year. So in some cases, it's you know as much as you know getting them out, walking them down the aisle, or just taking them outside, letting them have some fresh air um, and some sunshine, and you know just get them moving in a in a passive. Uh, passive ways so they're not exerting themselves, but still moving. So we're talking the chronic severe cases here. Now, as the horse progresses and improves, you're obviously going to have them out more. They're going to be more active um, until the point where they can be uh, on a, you know, in a turnout setting in a small pen, um, and, and then work up to uh, you know, dry a lot, and, and then work up to you know, hand walking multiple times a day, and then, you know, if the horse is able to be ridden, you know, being uh, tack walked and then some trot work. So you're talking months and months and months of, of buildup to a point where they're able to be exercised under saddle to a point where they can exert themselves to a sweat. So um, in, in the sense of working these laminitis cases up to that, it's, it's, a, it's a long, long process.
0: Dr. Dryden, we have a question from Joyce in Kansas, who wants to know your thoughts on treating laminitis with ice baths at onset.
2: Yes, great question. I think uh, cryotherapy or using ice uh, to um, help aid in these cases is, is very, very, very helpful. Um, it's something that's been studied extensively recently. Um, I do think that uh, it, it, it does have ef- efficacy at onset. So you're talking about the acute stage of laminitis. Um, so many horse owners don't have the ability to keep their horse submerged in an ice slurry bath up to their up to their knees or up to their carpus uh, for 72 hours straight. And I understand that's just not feasible for many, many, many people. But what I would why would I really, really, really uh, implore is that you don't just do like a 20 minute here and a 20 minute there. If you're going to do it, do it for several hours straight so you get uh, a long effect of that because that's going to do two things. It's going to reduce uh, the enzymatic processes that occur within the, the at a cellular level to, de- uh, to uh, diminish those attachments to the lamina. Um, and you're also going to provide some palliative treatment as far as analgesia and pain relief for the horse. Um, if you do it to say 20 minutes, you know, several times a day, what's going to happen is you'll have a rebound effect of the blood rushing back into the feet, and the horse is going to get very sore immediately following that. So I would implore people listening: if you if you have this situation, you're going to use uh, uh, cryotherapy, ice therapy, then do it for as long of a period as you can, and do it maybe twice a day so that you don't have a rebound effect it can actually be worse than just trying to get them in ice.
0: And Dr. Frank, do you have any, any follow-up on that?
1: I, I would actually love it if we, I could just go back to a couple of things that were mentioned um, back to the question of exercising horses. We do recognize this is a real challenge if they have laminitis and, and it's not advisable, of course, as Dr. Dryden said in the, in the stages where they're painful. Um, these are situations where to get the weight loss um, to reduce body fat mass your veterinarian may prescribe um, levothyroxine or thyroel and placing the horse on a on a dose of thyroel that is higher than the the regular supplement dose um, will cause the horse to lose body fat mass faster so there is a medical approach to this when you have a situation of of an obese animal that cannot be exercised also want to go back very quickly to the subject of grasses and time of the day, because it's complex. And I was trying to give a quick answer. So this time of year in Massachusetts where I am, it's frosting at night. And when it frosts at night, then grazing in the morning is, is can, can be a situation where there are higher sugars. If it's a warmer time of the year, then grazing in the morning is actually better because as the day goes on with the sunlight, there's more accumulation of sugars. So it depends on the time of year, and I'm sorry that that's complicated. It it just is um, because of the effects of frosting on the grass. So this time of year in Massachusetts, it's not good to put them out first thing in the morning because of the frost effect on the grass. Rest of the time of the year, warmer months, it is okay first thing in the morning. They tend to accumulate more sugars as the day goes on. cryotherapy, I couldn't agree more, is, is one of our more effective ways of trying to prevent laminitis um, and potentially also try to slow the progression of laminitis so particularly if you have a situation where the horse did break into the feed room uh, and your veterinarian recommends cryotherapy to try to prevent laminitis I would strongly recommend following that advice if you can and I think there's some good uh, boots out there now that make it easier to do this at home
0: I think the trick to that is having those on hand.
1: It is, yes. Getting them, and uh, you know, many veterinarians now keep them, and you can uh, get them from your veterinarian. Um, and and I think again, the technology is getting better with time, uh, so that's helping us all.
0: We have a follow up question about that from Tamara in our live audience. She wants to know how many hours at the depth of the carpus should a horse stand in cold salt water. Uh, in a cold cold saltwater spa, is it safe for the skin and hoof to be soaked for a long period of time? Uh, Dr. Frank? So, oh, Dr. Dryden?
2: Uh, yeah, so my experience has been they will be absolutely fine. The biggest concern would be is the, the way of attaching whatever bag or whatever method that you're going to use to keep that on the horse uh you you may find that you will get rubs you will get uh you know some ulcerations from taping those onto the legs so i the water and the salt water they're fine it's not going to harm the horse and know a lot of clients get very concerned that the hoof will get too soft or they'll have some sort of skin uh, uh dermatitis issue, but in my experience, that's not the problem at all the The problem will be the method in which the, the bags or the boots are attached to the limb and may rub or create ulcerations because of taping. So um, that would be my biggest concern.
1: And then- the, only, the only time I think people have had some problems, I think is when they have only put ice uh, in the bags uh, directly on the skin. Um, and so we always recommend an ice slurry. So a mixture of water and ice, not just pure ice.
2: 100% and agree. Yeah, definitely an ice slurry. Yep. And that's a great point, Dr. Frank. Uh,
0: and so if you don't have access to a set of boots or um, you're a long distance from your vet's office, you live rurally and can't get those. Do either of you have any suggestions for like MacGyvering something to get your horse's feet in in a slurry in an emergency Um Dr Dryden,
2: I'll start with you. Uh sure, if you've got a a shallow uh, tub big enough for them to put their front end in, that's going to work, you know, and it doesn't have to you don't have to get it all the way up to the carpus. I, I would say at least as long as the fetlocks are covered. Um and the you know, God willing the horses you know willing to stand still or put its place its feet in a in a big tub, you know, anything you can do is going to be better than nothing. So, or or if you have a creek uh, that runs by your place, or you have, you know, uh, a mud a mud hole at the edge of your pasture, you can go spray, you know, with much water, and that is possible. Anything that's going to be a cooler temperature to help, uh, you know, with a little bit of decrease in temperature, of those hooves is going to be helpful.
0: Doctor Frank, we have a question from Mary Jane in North Carolina, who wants to know if laminitis that occurs in the winter months is different from laminitic episodes that happen more traditionally in fall and
1: spring it's a it's a very good question mary jane and and one that continues to puzzle me i i will be completely honest Um, as with so many areas of laminitis there is still much for us to learn Um, what i've seen in some of the patients that we've managed with high insulin uh, is that they do fall into a pattern where they do have an increase in insulin uh, towards the end of the fall and through in through the winter months, and in those animals, I think we have an understanding then that that would be a higher risk time when they might develop laminitis because of high insulin. I think there's also a lot of questions about, you know, does that very cold weather limit exercise? Does it have a degree of stress because the animal is having to maintain body temperature uh, and Is there even an effect um, of the degree of, you know, the length of the day with the very shortest days having an effect on the endocrine or hormonal system of the horse? So I would say there's still much to be learned. Um, And in some cases, I think it's the same type of laminitis. It's related to the insulin, but I still don't think we have a full handle on why we have some horses that seem so predisposed in those winter months.
0: Dr. Dryden, our next question from the live audience is for you. It's from Maggie, who wants to know if the laminae is weakened after a laminitic episode. If you don't have rotation, could you cause rotation by doing too much work after an acute episode?
2: Oh, great question. So I am always cautious after a horse has had uh, an episode in which they have exhibited lameness. So anytime you, you can identify a horse that is laminetic, they, they are exhibiting lameness, but they don't have radiographic displacement of the coffin bone, I am still very, very weary of putting that horse immediately back to work. I say at least 30 days of, of minimal, uh, minimal use. Uh, when, I, when I say that, I mean hand walking or tack walking I mean this, these horses are are going to be very sensitive and predisposed to laminar disruption still within that thirty day period, so um, anytime I have an episode and it's it's clinical the horse is lame but yet they don't have displacement. I'm still going to make sure that they're on limited limited uh, exercise restriction for thirty days
1: and
0: Dr. Dryden, for these horses that have an acute episode what is the best way to protect their foot? If they have a shoe on, do you take the shoe off? Uh do they need to be shod? Um what what are your recommendations?
2: So they no, they don't need to be shod. Um and I think if they've got a good a good hoof, good hoof capsule, robust hoof capsule, you know, some of them do great just standing in a, a deep bedded stall. Some of them do great standing in uh in uh sand. Um now if they already have a shoe on um i'm not too excited about taking the shoe off unless the shoe is going to you know is pre- predisposing them to you know displacement or having an issue there's the shoe set too far forward and creates uh more laminar pull on the on the dorsal lamina uh, many times what i will do is just place a, a soft boot over the hoof to give them some cushion because when they have laminitis, their foot is very, very inflamed and re- refractory to concussion, refractory to uh, pressure. So they want to stand in something soft. And may the, you know, the situation may not allow to uh, bed the, the stall really deep with, uh, with the heavy bedding um, or put them in a sand stall. So a simple boot that you can get on the market with, a, with an insert is a, is a great option. Um, I don't get too excited about pulling shoes off and, and putting a, a different type of shoe on immediately because in the acute phase, really the foot just needs to calm down um, and, and manage it uh, uh, supportively.
0: And Dr. Dryden, we have a question from Joyce in Nevada who wants to know what she can use to safely control the pain during a laminitic episode. So. Joyce is a horse owner what can she do and then can you touch on what maybe the vets uh, her vet would do when they became involved in that case
2: so uh, first line of defense for a person um, having a horse that has a laminitis episode active put them on ice so that's going to be one of the best things you can do without getting you know a prescription from your veterinarian um, now beyond that you're going to have to have some medical management for this in which your veterinarian's going to be in be involved. One of the most common things that they will prescribe is Butte. Uh, phenobutazone is a very, very, very powerful non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. It works great for uh, laminitis cases. Uh, now, you have to be careful of how much Butte you give uh, because you can create some uh, uh, GI issues with it, uh, particularly ulcers and right dorsal colitis. Um, so you know you need to have your vet involved on decision-making when it comes to that. Um you vanamine is also a great nonsteroidal anti inflammatory agent uh that we use a lot for laminitis. Um recently we've been looking at acetamedicine as a uh a good uh analgesic agent and uh fever reducer for, for horses. So there there's a lot uh that we can do, but I would definitely implore you to use the guidance of your veterinarian uh for, for pain management scenarios.
0: Uh, dr frank we have a question from our live audience from claire who has a mare with a history of laminitis who's now in full and due to full this spring Uh, she wants to know what she should be watching for to ensure that her mare doesn't have a flare-up especially with the pastures coming on about the time the full is due
1: yes so that's a, a great question if if the mare has problems with high insulin then we know that as we get to the last third uh, of the pregnancy, uh, then those insulin concentrations may well go up even further. That's a normal process during pregnancy in the mare. So um, so if we start with a high insulin, we can expect it to go higher as she progresses through pregnancy. Some of the ways to be really careful with pregnant mares that have high insulin is to not overfeed, overfeed them. They They really should be fed according to what they need for their body condition score uh and what we commonly see is overfeeding of pregnant mares and that leads to them get, adding weight adding obesity adding uh, becoming more obese and as we talked about before that's one of the four factors it'll make it worse if if the mare becomes obese so if you have a high insulin mare then it would be very much the case that i would be careful with making sure that that mare is given hay that is lower in nsc Make sure she gets a ration balancer so that she's getting adequate protein, trace minerals and vitamins. Um, And if she needs additional calories, then use a low NSC feed, pelleted feed. Putting her out on pasture, be cautious with that if she has a high insulin. And again, I would suggest if she has had uh, laminitis before, check her insulin as she gets towards the end of pregnancy. See where she is. um, So that'll help you in making these decisions.
0: Uh, Dr. Dryden, we have a question from Jennifer in California who wants to know if wood shoes are still commonly used in assisting healing and limiting rotation in laminitis cases.
2: Wow, um, that is a that is a big question. Um, and so I, I, I asked think... it
0: with four minutes left in our broadcast. I didn't look at the time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I'm, real quick, uh, wooden clogs are still used extensively. Um, uh, shoes that have mechanics for anterior breakover, um, some slight elevation in the heel, um, support over the frog. Um, these are all shoes that that we typically will use for help in laminitis cases. I think the biggest thing to look at is the horse's hoof conformation, and have radiographs available for for the farrier to to trim the foot accordingly. Um, and then help reduce tension of the deep flexor tendon um, and support and stabilize the hoof capsule. So those are, those are key ingredients for producing uh, a shoeing protocol for a laminated horse. Um, there's a lot more that goes into it uh, than that, but that, that's a very simplistic idea.
0: That's yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. Uh, We have time for one more question. Dr. Frank Jean is in the United Kingdom and she wants to know if alfalfa is a suitable forage for horses that are recovering from or prone to laminitis.
1: I'll give you a very quick answer uh, and then if I could just uh, maybe just conclude with uh, one thing quickly too. Um, So alfalfa can be fine for a mildly affected animal. So if it's a mildly affected high insulin uh, situation, um, it may be okay to use alfalfa. You really need to get it analyzed though and to see what the non-structural carbohydrate content is. If it is high in sugars, then it shouldn't be fed. And the bit i wanted to conclude with is just um you know we talked about a devastating disease um, but we are making progress um and that we are much better at knowing how to identify horses that are at risk uh helping you to manage these horses um with the podiatry work that uh, can be done now i think we can manage horses with with laminitis the emphasis is really on prevention and identifying the at-risk course we have some drugs that we can use And from my standpoint, on the the side of the endocrine system, the hormone system, we have a website uh, produced by the Equine Endocrinology Group. It's a group of um, uh, experts in endocrinology. It's it's non-profit. There's no uh, commercial uh, interest in this. Uh, And you can Google Equine Endocrinology Group and give you information uh, for your veterinarian or for you on managing uh, these disorders
0: okay thank you dr dryden did you have any any final thoughts before we conclude
2: um i would absolutely agree with dr frank prevention is key Uh, once these horses do develop laminitis it is very difficult to get them back on the right track and and even more difficult if we don't diagnose the problem that resulted in the laminitis episode and then they continue to fall down the slippery slope so uh, getting a proper diagnosis and and prevention is is absolutely 100% the key. Okay. Well,
0: unfortunately, we are out of time tonight. I want to thank both of you, Dr. Dryden and and, and Dr. Frank, for joining us. It was a really great conversation. We've had a huge audience, um, and so thank you for for tackling these questions. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to thank our audience for sticking around with us, for sending in questions and and helping create this engaging conversation. I also want to thank our sponsor, Wellness Ready. And to everyone who's listening, thank you for joining us, and we hope that you can join us next time. Until then, from all of us at the horse, we hope you have a great night.